Yes, there we are. Welcome, Prosperity Inner Circle family. We're so excited to bring you another episode, brand new in 2021. This is officially our first, and I can't be more honored and excited to start this year off with such a phenomenal entrepreneur and powerhouse. And before I'm going to give you an introduction, I just want to say I hope you had a phenomenal rocket start this year and you're back with energy, right? January 2021 is a great year to reflect, but to go even further, despite all the economic challenges, despite the pandemic that we're going through, right? We're coming back stronger than ever. And on behalf of the Entrepreneur Speaker Series and the Prosperity in a Circle community, we're so grateful that you stick this one through and stay with us because that's what we're here for, to serve, to motivate, and to bring you the industry best. So with no further ado, I got my co-host Angeline here. I'm so excited. Angeline will be hosting today, but let me give you an introduction of today's honored guest. So we got Jim Britt in the house who is a best-selling author of numerous books and programs. And some of his titles include The Ring of Truth, Do This, Get Rich for Entrepreneurs, um, The Network for Marketers, and Unleash Your Authentic Power, and of course, Cracking the Rich Code. But more impressive is that Jim started his speaking career as a business partner with the late and great Jim Rohn for almost 10 years, where Tony Robbins worked under his direction. And Jim has really built himself an empire over the years. So we're going to have so much value today. So I want to encourage you that if you have questions today during the show, please connect through StreamYard so we can actually see your name popping up on the screen. But I encourage you to ask questions because that's this one golden opportunity, guys, to hear this directly from the mind of Jim Britt. So with no further ado, thank you so much for joining us on the Entrepreneur Speaker Series, Jim. Welcome. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. It's great to be the first of the year here. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's so amazing, Jim. Thank you so much for taking your time to be here with us. And I was going through your program, Cracking the Rich Code. It's amazing. Your story, it's just unbelievable. Would you just briefly talk about your story? How do you get started with this journey of entrepreneur? And it's very inspiring story. I believe that every people like, need to hear this. Well, you know, people ask me uh, that quite often because uh, some people will look at you and say, oh, well, you're successful. You've been successful all your life. Uh, but how did I get started? I think two things uh, drove my uh, desire to be an entrepreneur. One was desperation and the other was inspiration <laughs> because uh, I had no real future where I was um, when I was introduced to entrepreneurship. Uh, I started out my first job. I was six years old uh, picking cotton. Now, if you have never picked cotton, it's a uh, it's a it's a backbreaking job, and I'm sure you haven't picked cotton because now they have machines that pick it. But back then, um, the whole family went out and picked cotton. My my mom, my dad, my two sisters, and my brother, and probably today they would have arrested my mom and dad for child labor. But uh, <laughs> back then we had we had to do it because we to feed the family, to buy school clothes. But we got paid two cents a pound, two pennies a pound for cotton. Now, if you don't know what cotton weighs, it's not very much. I mean, you can have a big bundle of cotton 
and and still don't have a pound. So uh, it took a lot to to make any money. I mean, for my dad, maybe to make five bucks in a day um, was was rare. Uh, for me, at six years old, even make a dollar, I, I I couldn't pick enough to do that. So. Uh, but I learned from that. I learned a work ethic for one thing, but I also learned that working hard physically, unless you totally enjoy it, there's nothing wrong with it. Somebody somebody has to do it and some people love doing it. But I learned that you're, you're really not going to get ahead financially just using your two hands, yeah. um, unless you're an artist or something that you can demand some, uh, some big fees for. But, you know, working labor is a, is a difficult task. Uh, some people love it, but, um, so I learned from that and I picked cotton from about six years old till, till I was about 12. And my next job, which I would consider a, a real job. Um, I dropped out of high school in the 10th grade, um, got married at 17 years old, got a job uh, a week after I got married, uh, at a, at a gas station pumping gas. And I made a dollar an hour and I worked 60 hours a week, 10 hours a day, six days a week, no overtime uh, back then. And I, I guess I liked my job, uh, but again, hard, hard work. You know, you're in the rain, you're in the cold, you're in the hot, you know, but it was just hard work. And I think my dream job at that time was working in the factory up the road on the assembly line. I thought that would be cool to be working inside the factory. And so that was kind of my, my dream job, I guess. And the problem was you, you had to have a high school diploma to get in. I didn't have one. But uh, by chance, a fellow came in one day that had been in many times, and we started talking. Turns out he's a supervisor at the factory. Invited me to come and take a, a kind of a dexterity test to see if I could pass it. He said, I'll pull some strings and get you a job. And he did. And there were 9,000 employees in that factory. We wired uh, telephone switchboards and they would rate you on an efficiency rating. If you rated under 85%, you got fired. Um, and they'd give you so much to do and so much time to do that. And my efficiency rating, the top month I had was 457%. So I did the job of 4.57 people, but they didn't pay me anymore. So wow. here I was number one in the factory not getting paid anything more than everybody else. So again, I learned from that. And I didn't know but what I would say there the rest of my life until one night, this was my entrepreneurial journey, the beginning. A fellow stopped by my area that I'd met a couple of times, didn't really know him that well. And he said, he said, hey, he said, you're gonna work in this factory the rest of your life. And I go, I don't know, maybe, you know, I'm 22 years old and I, I didn't know. And he said, uh, come go to this meeting with me uh, tomorrow night, your night off. He says, um, I think it's something we can do to make some extra money. I said, well, what is it? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, I'm not your guy. I'm not taking my night off. And he says, and he said, oh, come on. He said, they told me to bring somebody with me. And he said, I want you to go with me. And I said, I'm not going, man. And he says, uh, I'll tell you what, if you go with me, I'll buy the beer afterwards. And I said, well, what time's the meeting? So, so I went <laughs> to the meeting for the beer, yeah. not for the meeting. Yes. And, but I sat through about an hour presentation and the second speaker that got up started talking about how much money you could make. And I'll never forget, 
he wrote the figure $2,000 a month up on the board. And I'm making under $400 a month. And I'm thinking, man, that's, that's rich. That's being rich 2000 a month mm-hmm. back then. And, and it was a lot of money. So I decided right then, I said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get rich doing it. And I didn't even know what rich meant really. And at the end of the meeting, they told me it cost $4,000. Well, I had $9. That's all I had. And I didn't know anybody with more money than I had. So I went out determined and went to my bank, uh, got turned down, went to another bank, got turned down. I went to 23 banks and loan companies before somebody finally loaned me the money to get started at $4,000. And over the next 12 months, I lost everything. I lost my home. It was already in foreclosure. Had a notice on the door from the sheriff saying, you got to be out in five days. Uh, Both of my vehicles had been repoed. All of my furniture had been taken. Uh, I had 15 cents in my pocket and a wife and a child. And I didn't know what to do. But the one thing that I knew I was not going to do was give up. I was not going to quit. And looking back, I don't know if I was stupid or what, but uh, I I had probably hundreds of times I should have quit, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. And as a result, somebody came by during that five-day period that I had to be out of my house and knocked on my door, somebody from the company, and he said, I understand you're a hard worker, but you're not making any money. Let's talk. He spent two hours with me sitting in my floor because uh, I had no furniture and um, taught me what I was doing wrong and what I needed to be doing. And my business took off like a rocket. The next month I made $2,600. The month after that was over 6000 By the end of the year, that second year, I was a millionaire. Mm-hmm. So it just tells me how fast something can turn around if you don't give up. And and Rob, would you like to know what did that guy talk to Jim to turn him around? That's a that's goal right there. Yeah, I, I think all of us would love to know, but maybe one question, maybe I missed it, Jim. But could you remind us what year was this? Uh, that was in about 1970. Wow. Guys, just to put some perspective to this to this story, right? 1970. So picture yourself back into the 1970s. And so so Jim is talking about $2,000, $4,000, which was a lot of money back then. It was. It was a lot of money. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, what he what he taught me, he said, uh, he said, tell me about tell me about yourself. Tell me about uh, what you're doing in business. I said, well, the training I got that night, the guy said, your job is talking to people. He said, if you talk a little, you'll learn a little. If you talk a lot, you'll learn a lot. I said, well, how much is a little? He said, one a day. So well, how much is a lot? He said, talk to 10 people a day. I said, okay. I quit my job the next day in the factory and I went out to talk to 10 people a day. That was my objective. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to present myself. I'd never sold anything in my life. I'd never even met strangers other than on a rare occasion, maybe at a party or something, but I didn't know very many people. I mean, eight or 10 people in the factory and a few neighbors around around my home. So that was a stretch for me to go out and talk to 10 people. Uh, We didn't have internet. We didn't have anything, no tools, no nothing, no brochures, no anything. And 
So I set my objective to do 10 a day. And the way I tracked it is I put 10 beans in my pocket every morning. And every time I would talk to a person, I'd just flip a bean away. And I'd keep reaching in my pocket, looking, I've got five left, four left. And I wouldn't go home until I talked to those 10 people. And so I said, over the last year, I told him, and I said, I've talked to 10 people every day, 3,650 people minimum. Some days I did more. And he said, wow. He said, that's, that's a lot of people to not get any results. Hmm. He said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, how do you know if you have a viable prospect? And I said, I, I don't know. I said, I guess if they buy from you. He said, no. How do you know if there's even a possibility of buying from you? I said, I don't know. He said, well, obviously. He said, you've been out there for a year and you haven't gotten any results. He said, in order to have a viable prospect, he said, you have to arrive at three destinations. He said, number one, do they have a pain or a problem? And number two, and he said, and if they don't have a pain or a problem, he says, which everybody does, but they may not share it with you. But he says, if they don't have one, you don't have a prospect uh, in your area of business, of course. Number two, do they want to solve that pain or problem? And number three, can you solve it? He said, if they have a pain, they don't want to solve it. You don't have a prospect. If they have a pain, they want to solve it, but you can't solve it. You don't have a prospect. So he said, you got to have all three of those. And he said, um, I said, well, how do you find out if they have a pain or a problem? He said, well, it's obviously not what you're doing. He said, you've been out there flapping your jaws for a year. He said, um, you've got to ask questions and you got to listen. And you got to be tuned in to the person. You got to really, truly listen to what they're saying. I said, well, what kind of questions? He said, it doesn't really matter. I'm going, Okay, now I'm really lost. <laughs> and he said, just start a conversation. He said, what would you do if you were at a party and you met somebody new? Or if you were on an airplane sitting beside somebody? Or if you were in a coffee shop and somebody sat down at the counter next to you and you started a conversation? What would you do? And I said, I don't really know. But I said, maybe say, do you live around here? He said, great, that's where to start. You know, do you work around here? What kind of job do you, you know, where do you work? Um, and breaker. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you like your job? He said, what you're looking for is a pain or a problem. Somebody says, no, I hate my job. That's a, that's a problem. Maybe you can solve it. Maybe you can't. But he said, you're asking questions and listening. And I said, well, why would they share their pain or problem with me? He said, everybody loves to share it. He said, if you're interested in listening and, and you really uh, take notice and, and, and listen intently. And then they will share pretty much anything. He said, in fact, they'll share things you don't even want to hear, so, <laughs> which I found out too. So that's, uh, that was one of the most, that was a turning point for me in a big way. And then he, the next thing he said, which I've lived my life by, that's been probably the, the major key to my success. He said, every time you meet a person, he said, if you live by this, this philosophy I'm about to give you, he said, you'll never lack for money, friends, a network. You'll have people all over the country eventually. And he says, uh, 
Every time you meet a person, always be thinking, what can I do to help this person? He said, not about selling them something. It's about what you can do to help them. Sometimes it is selling them something. But he said, if you learn to ask questions and listen and, and listen to their pain and see if you can do something to help, maybe it's giving them a referral. Maybe it's uh, just the other day, a, a woman said she got, she got uh, let, let go of her job or a company shut down. And she's been managing uh, uh, retail outlets, uh, retail stores, chains, and, uh, you know, high level management. And she said, I don't know where to go because there's so many of these retail stores that's shutting down, downsizing. I said, well, how about the franchise industry? She says, well, I never thought about that. I said, well, I've got a key contact in there. And I referred her to that, that contact. They connected. I'm not looking to get paid for that, you know? So, um, you know, what can you do to help people? That's, that's really key. So that's what I... That's what I learned from him. That was my that was my turning point. Wow. And, and yeah. Jim, would you say this was a time span of how many years? Well, the first the first year was the year of losing everything. Yeah. The second year was hitting my first million dollars. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So 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 would you say that that just by implementing some of the the tips that you received, right? Like number one, listening to people. Number two identifying if someone actually has a problem and then if they want to solve that problem, do, do you say that those three things cost you to earn a million dollars where the year before you, you literally lost everything? Yeah. I was just out talking. I mean, that was what I was trained to do. Go talk to people. Yeah. But I didn't realize I, I need to go ask questions and listen. And, and, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, there's, you may be selling something where you're not, you're not in direct contact with the person. So how do you ask questions and listen to that person? Well, you've got to tune in and just ask yourself, what kind of potential pain could that person be going through? Mm -hmm. If you're in the real estate business, yeah, you're looking for listings, you know, you're looking for prospects. You're, you know, if you're in the insurance business, if you're in the clothing business, you, you know, you got to think about, what, what's your audience and what, what are they going through? What do they need? You know, maybe it's a luxury item. Maybe it's, you know, but, but it's, it's pushing that button, that emotional button saying, Hey, I, I, I have that. I need that. I need to have that. Um, so, um, so you've got to look at it from a different angle if you're not in front of the person. Yeah. Um, people still have pains and problems. What I've discovered too, is there's only about a half a dozen pains and problems in the whole world. And everybody thinks theirs is unique, but there's another billion people that have the same one that you do. Yeah. And trust me, everybody has a pain or a problem in so, some capacity, whether it's money or whatever it is. You know. So by today, you 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 have hurt them all. I have what? So by by today, you have hurt them all. You're you're saying that most most of the time, the 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 problems that people. Uh, face are are common across the board, like even globally. Yeah. So so today yeah. you could just summarize like this is the list of problems. Just pick one. <laughs> well, one of the major ones I'm I'm focused on now is is a I'd say ninety percent of the population have a problem with money. Yes. Now, if you look at if you ask if you ask somebody what their what's the two most important things in their life. And most often you'll get health and family. 
Well, it, it and it should be. Your health should be number one, because if you're sick, you can't even pay attention to the family. So health should be number one. Family should be number two. Um, but if you look at the amount of time that people spend with health and family, you're going to find that they spend about 80% or more of their waking hours uh, chasing money. Yeah. Working. Maybe they're commuting back and forth, work nine or 10 hours, come back home, you know, have a little bite to eat, maybe have a drink or something and watch an hour of television and go to bed. No time for working out, no time for family. So they, they focus the majority of their time on money. Well, if that's the case, then the most important thing in their life must be money. But if real important thing is family and health, how about let's get the money out of the way so that you can spend the time working on your health and your money. So the problem with money is, is people's relationship to money. It's not the fact that somebody's making more than you are, that the, that, that, that that shrinks the amount that you can make. It's not that somebody's got $10 billion and you got $20. Uh, it, it, that doesn't take away from you. There's plenty of money to go around. It's all up here. It's, it's the relationship people have and they've been programmed with that relationship from upbringing i mean thinking about back when i when i started working two cents a pound <laughs> i mean how and we had we had virtually no money i mean our parents were loving parents but but broke you know we we barely survived um I mean, we had food to eat and we had a roof over our head, but that was about it. You know, we had to work to get clothes and, you know, uh, so it was, it was tough. So you get programmed that way. And then we're programmed to uh, go to school, get an education, get a job, work 40 years, retire and enjoy five years of your life. Wow. Well, you know, to me, that's not a, any way to live unless you like that. If you do, that's fine, too. There's no problem with it. Um, I'm not judging it. I'm just saying that if you want to get ahead financially, you've got to change the way you look at money. Money, is, to me, is like energy. There's always enough. There's always enough. Um, yeah. It's just uh, putting yourself out there and figuring out what you really want. Uh, Beautiful. So you got to change your relationship with money. It's, it's like... Uh, the fellow I was talking to recently, which, which was a great example of it, he told me he hadn't been able to pay his bills on time or fully uh, each month for 25 years. Mm. And I said, wow, that's a long time. I said, what are you going to do about that? And he said, well, thinking about cutting my overhead. I said, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But I said, in a couple of months, I said, you'll be back not being able to pay your bills on time. He said, well, how do you know that? I said, well, because you're addicted to it. You have a core belief that you can't pay your bills on time. And I said, you will go to almost any extreme to prove to yourself in the outside world that you can't pay your bills on time. You've been doing it for 25 years. I said, you're not going to change unless you figure out how to break that cycle. Because every time you try and fail, it strengthens the cycle. That It's, it's like an addiction. I mean, it's, it, it's like people in abusive relationships. It's, it's an addiction that both have. They're perfect matches, but it's an addiction that both of them have. And until one of them breaks the addiction, 
it's 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 not gonna it's not going anywhere. So yeah. same way with money, we get programmed and and we're we we really want to break free of it, but we don't know what trap we're in. We're in self-imposed prison that we've created, or somebody's created for us based on programming. Um, and and that's really one of my major focuses today is to help people break that cycle mm. um, and help them help them to to eliminate the the bad habit patterns that we have that become second nature. You know, I mean, you probably know somebody that's always late for appointments, always. Well, I do. I mean, I know people, we used to say, well, so-and-so is not going to be here until uh, 15 minutes after. So we'll just start a meeting 15 minutes after, or we'll tell them it starts 15 minutes before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're all there on time and, and they get there on time, but they're 15 minutes late in their mind. Um, but that's a habit pattern. But if I could show that person how and why they have that pattern and why they're late all the time, which is really just a deep-seated need for approval, so they get recognition, even though it's negative recognition, it's still okay. Um once they understand that, now it's a conscious choice to be late. They make that choice to be late. For before, they just did it without thinking. Um, yeah. So it's kind of interesting to, to watch people and what they do and, and the patterns they have. So that's what I help people do is to break those, those, those cycles, those patterns. So is that the, if people want to know more about how do they change the relationship with money and break that cycle, what, what's your program that they can can do to to help them further. Well, I I've got the program uh, cracking the rich code that you mentioned, oh, uh, yeah. which is at, at crackingtherichcode.com. Crackingtherichcode.com. Um, but there's there's uh, which is basically a four month program, uh, and you get you get daily messages, you get weekly videos, uh, monthly videos, you've got audios to go through. Um, so it's a whole uh, series of of input that you're going to get over a four month period that's going to change your subconscious programming relating to money. And some of it, as you listen through it, you think, well, that doesn't really relate to money. Well, it does. If it's, if it's relating to your confidence or helping you let go of something that may be uh, interconnected in some way to, to your philosophy about money or your relationship with money, but to change, it requires to me, to accomplish anything you want to accomplish in life, whether you want to be wealthy or healthy or have a better relationship or whatever it is you're looking to accomplish, it requires six key traits um, to, to accomplish that. And if you look at things that you've done, you've most likely have applied those six traits. Sometimes you might get by without one of them, but not in a big way. So if you want to you want to accomplish things in a big way, apply these six things. Number one mm -hmm. is you've got to have a desire to change. Now that may sound simple, um, but you could go ask. Uh, let's just talk about money. You could go ask a thousand people on the street corner if they want to make more money in any city, USA, or any city in the world, and you probably get a thousand people that say yes. Yes, I don't care if it's on Wall Street or wherever it is. Um, people want to make more money. Yeah. Even people who are making a lot of money want to make more money. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but 90% of those people that say, I want to make more money, 
that have a desire to do that will never follow through. They'll never do it um, unless they figure it out and, and change their relationship to money. So that's number one. You got to have the desire because nobody can manufacture that for you. But you've got to take that desire to the next step. And, and that's making a decision that doesn't allow for anything less than what it is you want to accomplish. So if you want to be a millionaire uh, or wealthy, let's just say you want to be wealthy, whatever that means to you. Maybe it means having 10 million in the bank or a million in the bank or earning 10,000 a month in residual income, whatever that may be. Um, you've got to make a decision that doesn't allow for anything less than that. And th think about this. Let's say this circle is a, is a decision. Here's what most people do. They make a decision, but it has a little opening somewhere. <laughs> That's their escape route from their decision. Yeah, I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to be a millionaire. But, but I'm not, not today. Today I'm too busy. <laughs> I mean, I watch it all the time. Even in my, my first business, I watched other people. They go out and talk to 10 people and quit. Yeah, I made a decision. I'm going to get wealthy. I'm going to make 10,000 a month. And, and they hit a little roadblock, go, oh, well, you know, I live in a negative city and nobody wants to buy. Yeah. Remember one guy told me, he says, yeah, well, nobody has any money in the town I live in. I go, oh, really? I said, what yeah. do you do now? He said, I deliver uh, pizzas. So you do take out pizzas and you deliver them. Those are the people with money. <laughs> Somebody doesn't have any money. They're not going to have their pizzas delivered. Yes. I never thought about that. <laughs> so, you know, but that decision, what, what it is, you've heard the term mindset. Um, it truly does create a mindset. Like I'm going to do this and nothing less than this will do. Um, because a mindset determines how you show up to the world. You know, if you've got a wishy-washy mindset, the world's going to show up to you as wishy-washy. You won't see the opportunities to make money, none of that. Now, if you've got that firm decision and you're committed to whatever it is you're committed to, your view of the world changes. You see opportunities you'll never see otherwise. And the view that the world has of you changes. So it, it's, a, it, it's a working in harmony with what it is you want to accomplish and the people around you will harmonize with you because they feel what you feel. So, so you call it the law of attraction. I don't, I don't look at it that way uh, because you know, if the law of attraction worked the way it's promoted to work, we'd all be cruising out in the Caribbean someplace on our hundred foot yacht. Um, but <clears throat> you've got to, you've got to make the decision and put yourself out there. So that's number two is the decision. Number three, you've got to be bold. You know, you've got to step up and put yourself in the spotlight and take center stage. Uh, nobody's going to do it for you. Uh, so that is so critical today, especially in today's world. But even back when, when I was out talking to 10 a day, if I ran out of somebody to talk to, you know what I'd do? I'd walk up to somebody's door and knock on the door. Wow. And one time I, I just, I, I was at number nine, and I had one more to go before I could go home. And, and I got on a, a payphone, popped a dime in there, and dialed the wrong number. And I, and I talked to that person for seven minutes, a wrong number. 
for seven minutes. Now I, I didn't, I didn't do any business with them, but, but I did anything and everything I could. And was it uncomfortable? Yes, it was. Which brings up the next trait that you've got to have. You've got to be willing to endure some pain. If you want to change the person you are now can't have those things that you look forward to having. The person you are now, if you're not already wealthy, can't have that wealth. You've got to become somebody different because every life level, every business level requires a different you. Uh, yeah. it's, it's that simple. You look at your life and you go back on your life and you look at yourself 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever, you know, uh, however old you are. Uh, but you look back and you see I'm a, I'm a different person today than I was then. Yeah. And you see the progression of that because you stepped out of your comfort zone and you endured some pain. You know, people ask me what my greatest fear was or is. I said, well, my greatest fear now is getting chased by a lion or a bear or something. But I said, <laughs> my, my greatest fear in the past, uh, it started out just talking to people one on one. That was a fear. But I got I got used to that pretty quickly. What Was it the rejection, Jim? Yeah. What was it the rejection that you feared of talking to people? Yeah, that yeah, that was that was really what it was. Um, in, in initially was fear of rejection. And and a lot of people experience that. In fact, people asked me today, just just a few days ago, somebody said, How do you handle rejection? And I said, I did that you know 45 years ago. <laughs> so I, I don't need to. I don't need to do rejection again. I went through it for 3,650 times. So it's, it's a matter of looking at that fear for what it really is. It's made, it's a made up story. You know, we make up things in our mind. We decide it's true. And then we act if it, as if it is true. We make up a story that that person may put me down for walking over and talking to them. We make up a story that they probably wouldn't want to talk to me anyway. Well, how do you know that? You know, so you make up a story and then you, you live your life as if that story is true. And for the most part, it's not true. So it's made up. So I'd say make up something different, you know, make it something more productive. Um, but speaking in public was my greatest fear. Um and I'll never forget the first time I did it. There were 30 people in the room and somebody kind of talked me into to doing this. I'd say they tricked me into <laughs> going out and speaking. Mm. And I was I was with Jim Rohn and uh, I, I had pretty close to 300 full time salespeople and they were selling tickets to seminars. And this guy wanted me to go do a presentation for him in front of a group. And I was pretty good if I was at a conference table, but not not so good in front of a group. So actually, I'd never been in front of a group. really. So uh, so I did the first one and it terrified me. And when I finished, I walked outside and I said to myself, never again. Never again will I ever put myself in a position to feel like that. I mean, I was hyperventilating afterwards. I mean, I, I was terrified. I was shaking. I mean, I was just terrified. <laughs> and the more I thought about it standing there, I thought, well, you've got, a, you got one or two choices to make. Never do it again, which occurred to me, or do it often until you got better at it. Yeah. And lucky for me, I chose the latter one. 
And I, over the next month, I put out the word to all of the salespeople that we had that I would do presentations for them. Uh, if they had, I, I think it was 50 people or more in the presentation, I would do up to three a day, which I averaged over the, over the next five years. Wow. Um, weekdays, mostly. Um, well, some weekends too, but I, but I did three a day. One, one day I did eight presentations in one day. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I was like bouncing from what I did a sunrise breakfast and I did a, a late night dinner and, and a whole bunch of presentations in between. So, um, but every time I did it, I asked myself, how did I do it? How could I have done it better? And I'll never forget once I understood what people go through and why, um, did I have the full confidence that, that I could answer any question that came up from the audience. And I'll never forget that day. I was in my hotel room in Park City, Utah, when I, when I, I got it. I'm going, this is the answer. And, and I felt like empowered. And so I go down to the seminar, which we had 400 people waiting on me. I opened the door. And for the first time, my first thought was, let me at them. Yeah. You know, of, I've got to get myself ready for it. You know, yeah. and, and from that point forward, I, you know, I never have any anxiety, no nervousness, no gut feeling of, is this going to work? Or what do I say first or any of that kind of stuff? So it's, um, um, it, 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 it's being able to step out of that comfort zone and do something that you're not normally willing to do and yeah. endure the pain. So that's critical. Uh, in business today or in life today. Uh, and Jim, would you would you say that getting over that fear, right? Because it sounds easier in theory when you hear it, get over your fear. But would you say that before you really got comfortable with that, how many, how many, if you had to guess, how many events and seminars and speaking engagements did you do before you really got comfortable with it? Probably a thousand. No. <laughs> <laughs> to get comfortable yeah yeah wow. probably. i mean i never counted them but probably yeah several years years yeah so that's, that's an cool. excellent demonstration of that commitment that you took the years before right you made that commitment and then whatever you had to do in order to get there and in this case it was public speaking you just threw yourself at it and and, and try to do your best to improve every single time. Yeah. I mean, I, I even had trouble, you know, how do, you, how do I charge for something, you know? And I was getting good results for people, uh, not, as, not as good as I get today, but, I, but back then I was still, you know, getting a lot of good results. And um, so I, I didn't know what to charge for a keynote, like an hour long talk. And, Jim Rohn was booked in a convention for, uh, a, I think, a red carpet real estate. I don't think they're even around anymore, but um, in New York City. And Jim got stranded in Australia and couldn't get back. The plane is his flight got canceled. A bunch of stuff moved around. It was going to be several days before he could even get out. So he gets in touch with me and says, you're going to have to call him and, and tell him I can't make it. Now, Jim's fee back then was $7,500 for a keynote plus expenses. 
And so uh, I called the fella and he was like really upset. He said, oh, my God. He said, I've been promoting him. I've been pushing it. I've been, you know, this is going to be a disaster. I can't believe it. I said, well, man, I said, he's in Australia. He can't get back. He said, okay. He said, who else do you have that speaks? And I said, well, I do. (laughs) And he said, "Uh, are you any good? I said, yes, I am. (laughs) Now, my mind is going, I'm not as good as Jim Rohn. (laughs) And actually, I didn't think I was that good. Um, but, But I was doing it anyway. And he said, how much is your fee? (laughs) <laughs> and it really took me back. And, and, and I went, uh, uh, could you hang on one second? I says, I'll, I'll be right back. So I put, uh-huh. the, put it on hold. I'm going, oh, what is my fee? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, what, what should I quote him? I mean, I, Jim Rohn 7,500. I can't do that because I'm not that good. I mean, all this stuff's going on in my brain. You know? So I come back. And I said, thank, thank you so much. I said, somebody just came in the office, but you were asking what my fee is. I said, it's $5,000 plus expenses. And he said, okay, you got the deal. Wow. So I hung up the phone. I'm going, $5,000? <laughs> well, that's the least I've ever charged since then. <laughs> wow. But uh, it, it's like, that was a stretch for me. And I was nervous uh, because, you know, it's a big convention for one thing. A lot yeah. of people, maybe might have been the most amount of people I was in front of uh, up to that point. Um, but, um, yeah, we we just make up so much stuff in our minds that's not real. It's just not real. Uh, so, you know, it's like stress is a good example. I, I would venture to say pretty much all stress comes from trying to control things over which you have no control. When you think about it, you're trying to control other people, situations, your finances, whatever it is, all of that creates stress. Trying to control something over which you have no control. If you have control, take action to to make it happen. If you don't, let go and move on. Which brings up the next point, which is probably one of the most important points, um, is the ability to let go. The ability to, to cut the tie. It's like if I'm People say, you know, it, it's hard to let go. I'm going, no, it's not. It's a choice. And, and yeah, some things are harder than others. But if I'm holding this, this mouse in my hand for my computer, if I'm holding this mouse in my hand, does that mean that I have to hold it in the, my hand for the rest of my life? No, no. I can put it down. If you lost a uh, million dollars five years ago, and now you're broke, do you have to carry the pain of that loss for the rest of your life? The answer is no, but most people do. Yeah. They want to, they want to use that. If only this hadn't happened. I spent three quarters of a million dollars one time on a television infomercial and it didn't work. And, and, and I knew within two, three hours of airing it, that it didn't work. And I knew right then I lost three quarters of a million dollars. Well, yeah. I could keep hanging on to that and say, if only, but I didn't. I'm going, oh, well, <laughs> you know, it's a nice looking show. 
And uh, maybe I can use some of the footage someplace, but that's it. It didn't work. Now I tried some editing and, and uh, kind of presenting it a little differently and spent another 50,000 and it still didn't work. I'm going, okay, it's on the shelf now. So that's it. Yeah. You write a book. I wrote one, one of my books. I've written 15, but one of my books got published. I don't think it sold five copies because it was a time, a, a timing type book. And by the time I finished it, the timing was over. <laughs> so, you know, but I spent a lot of time, I spent six months going to New York and interviewing people and doing all kinds of stuff. And it didn't go anywhere. Great book, but timing was off. Timing so wow. you've got to be willing to, to let go and move on. You know, <clears throat> what you're attached to that you have no control over burns up a huge amount of energy. Yeah. Hanging on uses your vital energy. If you're frustrated, if you're depressed, if you're, you know, whatever that's not, that's less than loving toward yourself is burning up your creative energy. And so you're so full of depression, you have no ca capacity to see an opportunity when it comes your way to make a change. Yeah. That's, that's why it's so critical to, to learn to let go of stuff and, and move on. So if I had to pick one thing, that, that's it. Uh, it's hard for anything to bother me. My wife's always saying, doesn't, doesn't that bother you? I'm going, well, yeah, I don't like it, but there's nothing I can do about it. So mm -hmm. let's move on. You know, and if there's something you can do, by all means, take action to change it, whatever it is. You know, if, if it's a political thing, well, go vote. If there's nothing else you can do, let go. You know, don't get all worked up about something you have no control over. If you so can do good. something, do it. So learning to let go is, is so critical. Um, I think it's a, probably one of the best traits that you can have. People think, well, letting go is kind of like getting walked on. No. <laughs> you know, see, there's two needs that we have as human beings that, that influences all of our negative emotions, feelings, and actions. The need for approval, the need to be in control, those two things. And if you look at anything that's not working in your life, I can guarantee you it comes from one of those two needs. When you need control, you're out of control. When you let go of the need to control, you're in control. When you um, need approval, you get none. Now, th think of somebody that's real clingy and they're always looking for approval and needy and uh, you want to get away from them. Think about somebody that's real overwhelming and controlling. You want to get away from them. So when you need control, you're out of control. So when you let go of those things, uh, you're now in control of your life. Wow. I, I think we I, have, I, you know, we got a certain amount of energy to burn up while we're here. And man, when, when our energies burn up, we're, our trip gets canceled. We're done. Yeah. So, and I, I think that's really profound, Jim, what you said, because it almost sounds like what naturally, the, you know, the, the, the naturally, uh, the, the natural reaction would be to actually hold on. Like you said, like they have a, a, an emotional attachment or, um, you know, something is not going right. So people get comfortable with feeling that pain because 
they're hoping to to learn something or 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 you know something to to solve with that but you're actually saying do the opposite because well, they're, they're, they think by hanging on to that that it protects them from it not happening again so let's say in a relationship so there's a breakup in a relationship maybe a divorce and one person is hurt the other one maybe not because they're the one that wanted the divorce the other one you know, is, is hurt deeply. So they're going, okay, I don't ever want that to happen again. So until somebody proves to me that they're going to be a different type person as to how they treat me, um, then I'm going to keep my heart closed. As soon as they prove it, then I'll open my heart. Well, good luck. It's not, you're never going to find the person you're looking for. And, you know, I've got example after example of people going through situations like, uh, a, a woman in one, one workshop, <clears throat> she said, we we're talking about money, finances, and, um, and, and wealth. <clears throat> she said, well, I can never be successful financially. I said, oh, so why is that? She said, well, uh, my father. I said, well, what about your father? She said, he verbally abused me my whole life. She said, he would tell me from a young age, I will never amount to anything. You'll never measure up to your siblings. You'll never make any money. You're not very smart. You're stupid. And he said, he did that all the time. She said, I don't know why, but he did. And, and, and she said, and that's the reason I can, I just, I'm not successful and I can't be successful. I said, oh, wow. I said, so your father abused you verbally. Yes. I said, where's your father now? And she's maybe 50 years old. She said, well, he died about 10 years ago. I said, oh, so who's abusing you now? She said, I don't understand. And I said, well, who's abusing you now? She said, I, I don't know. I don't understand the question. I said, okay, well, think about it. I said, I'll be back. So I did some other things with other people. I came back to her and I said, did you come up with the answer? She said, no. And third time over, she said, no, I, don't, I still don't understand the question. I said, well, keep thinking about it. And the fourth time, she says, you mean, you mean I'm abusing me? I'm going, well, what do you think? I don't know. So, well, think about that a little more. So the fifth time back, when I walked up, she goes, oh, my God. She said, I'm abusing myself now. She said, I'm carrying on what he started. I'm keeping his legacy alive to abuse me by thinking that I can not get ahead. And so I worked with her on, you know, her need for approval and all of that, which was a, a deep seated need that she had that kept her there. Um, and, and she, you know, she let go of all of that and it can happen that fast. Once you are consciously aware of what you're doing, but she had no idea. She had no idea. She just thought because he abused her, she's going to live her whole life out the way he planned it, the way he yeah. told her it's going to be. I've wow. seen abusive situations where you've got extreme abuse um, from, you know, be, I mean, a, a physical abuse. And uh, one in particular, one, one woman, uh, she came to the workshop. She had bruises all over her wrist or black eye, a bloody lip and, she shared with the group that afternoon on, on a two-day uh, workshop, the first afternoon, uh, she said, when I left this morning, my boyfriend 
said, if you try to leave me, I will kill you. And she said, he meant it. And she said, I've been in seven abusive relationships. <clears throat> and she said, three were marriages, four were just live, living together, like the one I'm in now. And so I worked with her on her need for approval, long story short. And I, it took a while, but I, I got it down to where she had zero need for approval. Then she said, well, what do I do when I go home? I said, nothing. Just go home feeling the way you're feeling right now. She said, okay. So she goes home and she comes back the next morning and, and she couldn't wait to get up in front of the group and chair. She said, I walked in the house and she said, something felt different, but I didn't know what it was. I thought it was just me feeling. And she said, my boyfriend is usually sitting in the recliner drinking a beer. Well, he wasn't there. I figured he's probably in the kitchen getting a beer. He wasn't there. She said, so I figured he's probably passed out on the bed uh, from drinking too much. So <clears throat> she said, I went to the bedroom. He wasn't there. She said, suddenly I felt this overwhelming feeling of joy. And she said, I ran to the closet and opened the closet doors. All of his stuff was gone. And he left a note saying, I will never be back. Mm. Now, you can say, what a coincidence that was, that he left while she was up talking and letting go of her need for approval. Well, if, if you can get behind the fact that we are energy beings, we're energy units, mm -hmm. and we're all connected in some way, maybe he felt her need for approval to go away. Because, you see, he's, he's, he's a, a, a person that needed to control. So you have to have somebody that needs approval in order to have somebody to beat up. So mm -hmm. you, feel, you feel alive and actually you feel approved of when you, when you're a controller too. Yeah. So, um, and now she's in a, uh, last I heard anyway, she, uh, she I followed her for about three or four years and, um, she's in a successful marriage, not, no abuse, nothing. So, Beautiful. That's wow. Powerful. So simple when you think about it, it's not, but, but if you don't know how to break that, habit pattern that's second nature to you nothing ever happens you live out your life wondering why you can't get ahead yeah yeah okay. I, know, I know we are in a almost wow today a lot of great sharing thank you so much jim before before you go would you talk about the book that uh we wrote with the uh, kevin harrington just uh, oh, sure. exciting coming out in 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 a couple of months right yeah, no, it's coming out here uh, very quickly, actually, uh, within uh, within the next week. Next week, um, wow. Yeah, we, uh, the book is also called Cracking the Rich Code. Uh, we mentioned my program at crackingtherichcode.com, but this is separate from the book. It's kind of my brand. Um, we have a book series uh, that's that includes a lot more than just uh, being in a book. It's a collaboration. There's 20 co-authors in each book, plus Kevin and I. Um, and the book is called Cracking the Rich Code. We're now on volume. We're starting to fill up volume number six. Uh, we're just coming out with number five. Um, the first four have become number one international bestsellers. Uh, we're we fully believe number five will as well and six and throughout. So um, uh, they, each co-author writes a 3,000 word chapter. 
they get their picture, their bio, and their contact info. So it's kind of like a, a first step of generating leads for them uh, from the book. So that's what it's designed to do, even though, like, you know, you have a chapter, Angeline, and uh, it's it's content driven. So it's 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 a good read for the for the reader. It's good content value, um, but it also markets you because if people like what you have to say, they're going to want to know more about you. Come to your website and take a look. So that's that's part of why it's designed. It's also the cover of the book. It has a it has a picture of Kevin Harrington, and Kevin, uh, you know. A, is a big claim to fame uh, celebrity wise is the TV show Shark Tank. He was one of the originals. And uh, of course he, he had all kinds of other businesses as well, over 500 different businesses that he's been involved in that he's taken to market. Um, but it's got a picture of Kevin with his notoriety and it's got a picture of me as a top 20 success coach and top 50 speaker that I was uh, made that list, not last year, but the year before. And, um, and then Tony Robbins endorsed the series. So Tony's picture's on there with his endorsement. And Tony doesn't endorse very many books. Um, in fact, I don't even know of one he's endorsed uh, right off. Maybe he has, but I don't know. Um, well, he endorsed another one of mine, but uh, he endorsed his series. Uh, so we do a different front cover for each of our co-authors. So your picture is right in the center of the cover. So you've got a picture of you right in the center. You've got a picture of... Kevin, myself, and Tony. So uh, it's kind of a co-branding tool. It's a way to stand out on social media. And today, uh, you've got to be perceived as a key person of influence in your field of business. Otherwise, you're going to get passed over. So this is a great calling card. It's a great credibility thing. It's a book to sell, a nice profit in the book. Um, plus, we have a membership site that goes with it um, that's free uh, that uh, is content-driven. Our co-authors can post content on there with their link. Uh, we, we've got ways of driving traffic to that membership site. Um, and we're going to drive more and more traffic as we go. And it's got um, two, two ways to get exposure on there. One is if you posted, let's say if you posted some content once a week, you'd probably be featured on the homepage at least four or five, six days that week. Um, because we put the, the latest features on there for a period of time. And then uh, there's a, a featured co-author on the homepage of this site. And it says, featured entrepreneur, learn more. So I don't know about you, but if I go to a site and I saw something that said featured entrepreneur, I'd have to click on it to find out who that person is. Mm -hmm. Well, if they click on it, it goes to a sales page. And we create the sales page for the person. Oh. And... Um, uh, based on what you want on there. You can have video, audio, text, whatever you'd like. It's almost like a little mini capture page or website. Um, but again, designed to create leads. Well, every time somebody lands on the site, it rotates to the next co-author, the next and the next. So it doesn't matter if it's somebody just visiting or a member, it just keeps rotating. And the more members we have, the more exposures everybody's going to get. Uh, so it's a way to, to generate leads again. Uh, and if you send somebody there as a co-author, um, it always shows you as the featured person on the site because you have your own link. So you can utilize that as a good third party uh, endorsement or some people are even using it as a, a way to market themselves. Yeah. So, so, so it's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool uh, book series. And the community is amazing. We've just got amazing people like yourself, Angeline. And uh, we've got just so many 
great people. You know, we've got the entrepreneur of the year. We've got a Harlem Globetrotter basketball entertainer. That's an entrepreneur, sharp, sharp guy. You know, we've got a woman with one of the top rated syndicated radio shows. We've got a health expert. We've got uh, gosh, I don't, a guy that heads up most of the digital marketing for Amazon. I mean, and all these people you, you've got direct contact with, and we're in, I think seven countries now. Mm. So if you want, if you want to meet somebody in the UK, we got a couple of co-authors in the UK. You want somebody in Canada? We got five or six up there. You want, you know, they're they're Australia, New Zealand, all over. So and that'll grow. So it'll make you'll you'll have global contacts. So anyway, that's that's what we're doing. It's and we're always looking for talented people in the area of entrepreneurship, coaches, speakers, trainers, consultants, entrepreneurs that have a great story that want exposure. Yeah, because your your net worth, it's all about your network. Your network equals your net worth. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's all about branding as well. Uh, mm -hmm. People don't realize what branding actually means and, and why it's so important. Um, when I first started in the speaking business, I didn't have a brand. Actually, Jim Rohn didn't have a brand. Nobody knew who he was. And um, I kind of intuitively knew. I knew two things. I knew if I could write a book, uh, that that would be help my brand. The problem back then is if you write a book, you had to print at least 10,000 copies. Yeah. And they cost you about three bucks a copy. So it's like $30,000. Now you got 10 pallets of books sitting in your living room or something. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, so that that didn't happen very often. Um, and, and to get to a publisher was even more difficult to get somebody to publish a book. Um, so I thought, you know, I need to brand myself with, with top speakers. So Dennis Waitley was one of the top out there. Absolutely. I, I met Dennis, got to know him, ended up on stage with Dennis, actually ended up in a, as a business partner at one point with Dennis. Dennis introduced me to the Nightingale Conant Company, where I, I met Earl Nightingale. Oh mm, my goodness. I never met Earl Nightingale. I did seminars with Earl Nightingale. I thought, wow. wow. I didn't think too much about it then, except he was kind of one of the grandfathers of self-improvement. Yeah. Yes. I've done seminars with Bob Mandino. Bob Proctor's mentor, right? Pardon? He was Bob Proctor's mentor as well at one point. Yeah. In time. yeah. I've done seminars with Bob. I've done seminars with Tom Hopkins and Ryan Tracy. And I mean, a ton of them. Uh, and and that's kind of the way I branded myself, you know, in my brochures and things that I had, you know, shared the stage with, you yeah. know, Zig Ziglar and this and that, you know. And if you look at my website, you know, I've got all these endorsements from top name speakers that are all close friends of mine from from back then. Yeah. I mean, Les Brown and I actually started in the same direct sales company. That's how he got started. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Very. So, uh, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's uh it's great to have those friends, but uh, but they were they were business connections back then. Yeah, that meant a lot. It meant a lot. You're so. an absolute legend, Jim. It was uh, such an honor to share this time with you, and and thank you for taking us back, right, all the way to the seventies. Like mentally, as you were speaking, I I pictured myself starting from the cotton fields and working your way up to seminars in front of thousands of people. It's uh, it has been incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think back to certain things that that, that what I've seen and the progression of, of my industry and other industries as well, going from, you know, having get up on stage and you got a wire on your microphone, yeah. and 
pulling out wire around everywhere. You know, people today they don't even they, they don't even realize that that you had that back then. At least the younger ones, but you had to do that. And the sound system was always messed up, and you got to mm. check it five or six times to make sure it's working. And you know, it it, it was uh, it was an amazing time. I mean, between uh, well, when Jim Rohn and I were together, we we put probably a million people through events uh, wow. during that period of time. Incredible. Uh, California. One um, in Orange County, California, back then the population was 2 million. We put about a quarter of a million people through events. That was like wow. one eighth of the population of the county. Wow. We had five offices in Orange County. Yeah. <laughs> we were we were selling a lot of tickets. Um, you Incredible. couldn't get on an airplane or go to a restaurant that somebody didn't know you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Wow, Jim, thank you so much for your generosity and Spencer give us so many great golden nuggets. I would love to invite you to come back again because there's one very important subject I haven't talked about. It's time. And you are brilliant. You talk about the time, like 15 minutes per block. That's brilliant. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't we don't have a time to go over it today. And maybe it's a good reason for you to come back again and share yeah. with us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm, yeah, I'm happy to. Yeah. yeah, and I know you also have very generous and give us a uh, amazing bonus for our community today. Um, for for the winner, they're gonna have a uh, like complimentary and uh, power talk with you. And right, yeah, if you'd like to do that, and uh, just kind of a, a little brief session, uh, you can email me at support at jimbrit.com. Happy to do that. There's also a couple of audios that you might enjoy. Um, and they are uh, at the rich code. I'm sorry, richcode1.com and richcode2.com. All right. So you can download those audios, uh, which uh, you'll enjoy, I think. And um, and if you want to know more about uh, the uh, the Kraken the Rich Code book series, uh, then uh, just you can email me at support at jimbrit.com. Perfect. Um, or if you want to look at more of my books and things, just go to jimbrit.com. Yes. Oh, you are all over the place. All over the fucking <laughs> present. <laughs> we, we will make sure that uh, everything gets properly distributed. Uh, and I'm, we're very excited of our own Angeline Waymeyer, right? Being on the front cover of the Rich Code book. Uh, we can't wait to get our hands on this. Hey, and Jim, before we leave, there's always one more thing that I like to ask. And for the audiences watching right now, right? And it's also a perfect time. 2021, we're in January. We're fresh. Right. We still have all these challenges going on around the world. But what what could you give the audiences uh, before we end the show here today in terms of building their business? What is the one piece of advice for people that are still trying to 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 build it from the ground up They're They're struggling, hustling every day. What, what would you say to those people? Well, you know, if if, if you can. If you could be more effective Let's say if you could be 50% more effective, would that help? Mm. Here's, here's the number one key to success, in my opinion. Uh, once you've decided what it is you, you want to build, what, do you, what it is you want to do, um, during the time that you're working toward that, you know, during your working hours, become self-observant. Uh, in other words, look at what you're doing. And ask yourself, is this action moving me in the direction I want to go or away from it? Uh, just a, a couple of days ago, a woman, she said, 
I, I, I can't figure out why I'm not accomplishing anything. And I said, what do you do with your time? She said, well, I spent a lot of time on Facebook. I said, well, how much time? She said, seven or eight hours a day. <laughs> and I'm going, do you do business on there? No. I said, well, yeah. that's seven or eight hours that you're wasting. She yeah. said, yeah. But I, she said, it, it's like, it's kind of fun just scrolling through. I'm going, it's tension relieving. And it's an excuse to not go build your business. Yeah. I said, look at things like that. I'm not saying don't go on social media. I'm saying if you go on there, ask yourself, is this moving me in the direction I want to go or not? Wow. If somebody you okay. see that somebody liked something or somebody commented on your post, do you need to go there immediately or <clears throat> can you go there at the end of the day or something? You know, it, it's what are you doing that's moving you in the direction you want to go? And if you become observant like that, you'll start you'll start to see things that you're wasting your time doing and you'll wow. become much, much more effective and move forward much quicker. Mm. Thank you so much, Jim. Peak performance, right? I know you're a specialist. Uh, so so that's amazing because efficiency is, is, is everything. And it's something that we promote as well within our organization. So I'm really excited uh, to leave our audiences with that, guys. And I want to thank Angeline for, for, for bringing Jim on and opening the doors to have this phenomenal interview. Thank you so much, uh, Jim. It was an absolute honor and pleasure to, to be listening to your story. And I feel empowered now to go and create my own. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really you. grateful. And I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been, been a pleasure being with the two of you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jim. Thanks, Rob. Speaking of branding, branding, right? Rob, it's it's amazing branding expert. I'm very grateful for for Rob also, Jim. For in case if you know somebody, really need to check out Rob's work. It's phenomenal. Awesome. <laughs> Digital yeah. artistry. That's uh, what we like to call it. Oh, that's I'm cool. very grateful. Very grateful for him to help me build my brand to the next level. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. So there All you right. have it. Our official first entrepreneur speaker series with the one and only legend, Jim Britt. Jim, I appreciate your time. So generous, Angeline. Thank you so much. And we will see you again in the next episode. Same time, same place. And follow Jim Britt. Connect with him because there's so much value out there. Thank you so much, guys. And have a fantastic week. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.